Welcome to Stuck in Design, where our founders share candid conversations about design, creativity, and business. Let's begin. Hi, KK. Thanks for coming onto our podcast today. For our audience who have not met you, could you briefly describe um, what you do at Stuck and maybe also a little bit of what you have done before Stuck? Yeah. So I'm KK, I'm an Innovation and Strategy Director at Stuck. Before this, I was working in Samsung for a while on the Regional Product Innovation Team. But if I were to just describe what I do throughout my last I don't know, 15 years or so, uh, maybe it's just helping people figure out what should we make next. That's basically the one sentence that encapsulates the start till now so far. The what can be different. It started off with maybe a design, maybe a feature innovation, maybe a new product line, new business line sometimes. And sometimes the what can be more vague, fuzzier, broader as well. What should start be next? That's also part of a what that, that I'm trying to figure out. So what would you say is your favorite thing to do in this, I guess, aspect of design? Mm. So I'm a very unconventional designer in a sense that of course, a lot of people associate designers with people who can sketch very well. I had basically no art training, but I found it to be quite interesting. Sometimes there was, in the past, there were people who described me as the critical pe- person in the creative circle and a bit of a creative person in the critical circles. So it's that intersection that I find quite interesting. A lot of it is about finding amidst all of the various strands in a project, which is the strand that really is the central core of a project, the bottleneck. Where is the tension? Sometimes that manifests as a pain point, sometimes that manifests as a core dilemma, a paradox sometimes. And there's tremendous satisfaction when I discover, you know, there's a really interesting paradox here and if we can solve this, we can move mountains or we can solve the problem or we can create a breakthrough. So being able to dive into a spaghetti of issues and identifying which of these is the strand of core paradox or core tension is one of my favorite things to do. So maybe could you help describe exactly how you go about swimming through that spaghetti and finding that goal or the meatball? <laughs> yeah. Chance of a meatball. Of course, if many of us will be familiar with the design practice, there's a lot of research components, qualitative, quantitative. So whether it's interviewing people, whether it's reading through past publications or talking to clients, stakeholders, other people who have been through this before, figure out why are they still stuck? What is it that's frustratingly holding people back? Um, and what is it that they actually want to do beyond maybe the superficial or beyond assumptions, uh, which is also another typical thing? It's usually never one of this or one lens of this, but when you swim through enough of these various sources and data points, sometimes repetition or a pattern starts surfacing, right? You see a, a similar issue surfacing in various contexts, presented slightly differently, but you know, there, there's some core thread around it. And so you pick it up. And when you pick up enough thread, then you form maybe a string. <laughs> and then ultimately, as you sift through again, yeah, you, you get to the core gist of it. So in this like pattern recognition or being able to sieve through. Would you say that it's more of a trained thing, like with experience, with doing it over and over again? Or would you say there's also a little bit of that instinctive kind of ability to 
to find and sense certain patterns that are going on? I would say it's probably both. Maybe it's a bit like eating, right? If you are the kind who foodie, you really love food, you go to maybe different stalls that sell the same food and then you try to see what is it that's working here. And if you are very mindful about it, maybe you'll be thinking about what is the different ingredient that I'm tasting here? There's a slightly different something here. So in that situation, you might ask, is that training or is that DNA, right? Do I have a special tongue that can taste a difference? Some people may be able to grasp more intuitively, but with training, everybody really can do it. The key here is to be able to know what you are looking for. So you don't mistake just be swimming around purposelessly versus I am swimming around, but I know what I'm looking for. So when I encounter it and I know to pick it up and I know how to frame it and how, how to understand it or how to process it, uh, that, that's the part where some training definitely helps. Yeah. Mm. So when, say when you're swimming through that information and you feel that, okay, this is a, a path that I'm, I'm trying and I'm trying to find that, that gold nugget. Mm. And maybe as you're swimming and swimming, you feel like you're going deeper and deeper into the deep end. <laughs> How do you know then when it's worth it to continue mm. or when you should like U-turn and find another path? Mm. Again, it's a bit like half instinct, half experience perhaps. But the core thing to differentiate whether this is futile, whether I'm just going around in circles, is to recall what is the objective again. So. If I take the analogy with swimming, maybe currents are bringing me all over the place. And if I don't know where I'm going, all I do is paddle. And between the paddling and the inherent water current, maybe I end up somewhere. Now, is that somewhere a good place to be? It depends. Is that, is that where you want to go in the first place? It's the same thing in terms of data diving or data swimming or inside swimming or whatever you call it. If you don't have a goal, or if you don't have a sense, at least directionally, you might not know precisely what is it that you're looking for, but directionally, if I'm heading somewhere and through my swimming or even the natural current of the project momentum, it can carry me there, then it's good. If you feel like, you know what, I'm going around in circles relative to where I want to be, then yes, of course, it's not very good. And of course, if you are going further and further away from your objective, then I guess that's objectively bad. The key is to, before you jump in the pool, you must know where you want to go. Lah. So you have some sort of sense before you decide to just deep dive and, and find. Correct. Once you've managed to find um, these insights or these nuggets and in piecing them together, how do you tend to communicate this or put them together in a way that is understandable to be it your clients, be it just general public? What are some key tools that you actually use to mm. storytell these things? Uh, so analogies, of course, is quite useful. Sometimes I think of insights like a ripe mango. It's juicy, it's nice, it's just tempting. You want to sink your teeth into it. And if you say ripe, R-I-P-E, they represent different aspects of a good insight in my view. So R for resonance. So when I speak it or when I uh, declare the insight, for example, do the people whom you are studying, for example, in a particular research, Say, that's so me. You know something about me that I didn't even know myself and I feel such a strong resonance to what you've just described. I think when you get that, that it's true, right? There's a certain truth 
And because there's a certain truth, the resonance is, is, is established. So that's one aspect. The second one, illuminating. So I used to work for refrigerator innovation. We have this saying where inside is a bit like a refrigerator. When you look into it, a light should come on. So whether or not an inside gives you that, ah, right, the, the stereotypical aha moment, it's like there's something that I never thought of like that before. Sometimes it's not even a new new observation but just a way to describe that uh, then again it's different and because of the way you seeing it differently you you have new opportunities and new possibilities right so that's illuminating p is pithy i don't know what's the right way to pronounce it pithy short a lot of research oriented people they are in research because they love to dig deep and they love to know more and more but there's also a counterpoint to that where if you are not able to succinctly describe it, it's very hard to get traction. It's very hard to communicate. I have also this uh, test, right? what I call the happy hour bar test. So if I tell you an insight about a particular project today, if you are the client, for example, uh, say you have a happy hour later on with your friends, colleagues, are you able to tell someone else what I've just presented? So if I presented a seven by seven framework that is very cumbersome to talk about, there's no way you can even remember, not to mention repeat. But if I'm able to distill it down to something that's very short, succinct, then much more likely and able to for you to be able to spread it. This is also why proverbs work so much better than very long stories. <laughs> because long stories, you have to set up you know, all the narrative context and everything. It, it takes time to get into it. Because the last part, R-I-P-E-E, -E, huh, is it empowering? Is it enabling? Does it actually provoke some kind of actionable, whether it's design, whether it's a creation, uh, or is it just, uh, I guess, a passive observation? If it could push the team or the energy of the problem solving or innovation in a certain direction, I think that's very strong. So that's what I look for. So think of it as a right mango. That's, that's how I mentally categorize. Mm, that was so illuminating. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, did you come up with that framework yourself? Or? In a way, yes. So <laughs> I, there are various people who have asked me through in, in my past, what is a good insight? Again, I, of course, I, I try to establish the different facets of insights, right? And this is why you have the four alphabets. But it's to me just as important to be able to connect these four words so that I can connect into a single word. And then I can mentally conjure the image of a juicy mango. And that's the way I can create a shortcut on how to even remember all of these things. If you tell me what are the top four characteristics of insight, I might not be able to easily tell it. But if you ask me, okay, just remember the mango. What's a good mango? A ripe mango is a good mango. Look at that juicy drink. Im immediately you're able to, from there, sort of build your structure into, okay, now I remember these are the four key aspects of a good insight. Hmm. I feel like this ripe mango thing is in itself, yeah, using like the ripe, yeah, the four factors la, that you just described. Yeah, yeah it, it reminds me of like this um, in back in secondary school. So we learn a lot of these kind of like acronyms la, to, to remember. And until now, I still remember the one where we learn for like essay writing in history. It's called Peel. Okay. I don't know. It's, I think it's quite common in, in schools. La. Then <laughs> because the most important is you have to state a point. Then you have to give your, I think, example and then your elaboration, and then you have to have your link back to your point. Yeah. And my teacher always said that if you don't have the L, you will pee. You will pee on the floor <laughs> if you don't have the L to finish your peel. And yeah, until now, I, I actually still remember it and um, still make use of it in my writing as well. Yes. So, so yeah. That is the power of acronyms and a vivid imagery. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> now I will always imagine the mango when we are sieving through my insights and all.
<clears throat> yeah, cool. How do you actually see this storytelling fitting in specifically with design? Mm -hmm. And how, how do you think this differs from other forms of narratives in other fields? I don't know enough about narratives in other fields. I think when you talk about storytelling, everybody usually gravitates to maybe movies, right? The hero's journey, things like that, or various, there's like maybe six key movie arcs that's always true, things like that. I have not really actually been able to apply them very fruitfully in my own practice in innovation, but I do see the commonality across all of this. It is that a good narrative in design or in innovation helps give very clear focus on where is the central core. It helps contextualize every other detail, whether it's physical, it's a small feature, it's, it's the interaction of it and all of this, they need to all point towards a common core. So when you have that, that everything is in sync and, and it, you almost instinctively feel from positioning to messaging to innovation to feature to design and, and the manifestation of it, they're all very aligned and when that happens, it's special. In the same way where movies are, right? Uh, when you might have a core narrative, but then the way the set is expressed and designed, or the way the soundtrack contributes to it, uh, the way the, the actors and, and the characters contribute to it, they also all have to align to this central core. And when it's in alignment, everything is beautiful, it's a work of art. Uh, when it's all in different directions, then you have a bit of a problem. Um, that's when you lose resonance. That's when there's just something wrong, weird. I can't quite pinpoint what is it about it. Maybe the, the symptoms of this happening in innovation and design typically tends to be, I don't know what's wrong. I think we did all the right things, but it somehow feels lackluster. Lackluster itself is an interesting word because back to the point on illumination, lackluster, luster means light, right? It's lacking the light. Uh, so when you feel the project is it's just, yeah, it's that. It's, we, we seem to be doing all the right things in terms of checkboxes and activities, but why is it that it's not giving me that sense of, it's a project that's singing in, in, in the rhythm. Quite often, it is this light that is not shining. It is not shining through yet, through, through all of it. And in the same way where we see movies, in the same way we see uh, innovation or design projects, that's how I also see the relationship between the various activities that we are doing in relation to the core narrative. Yeah, that's the parallel that I'll see. Okay. Maybe specifically to storytelling, do you have mm. one or two frameworks that you always keep in mind when mm. you're trying to craft that mm. story? I actually don't. I don't know whether I do have a process or not, or it's almost this intuitive amalgamation of all kinds of sources. I have tried to set a structure before and then it didn't really work very well for me because then it becomes filling in the blanks, then it becomes, again, that soul is missing, it's almost. But the more productive way for me is just knowing that at the end, I want a direction and a story that's like that. And what do I have now? And almost trying to follow the arc. It's almost like surfing where you can't really command how the waves should turn, but you know how to ride it uh, if you are. You might fall a few times, but I think surfing is maybe a better metaphor of than something that's really very, that I can drive right from the start. I know exactly how to do it. I have a motto behind <laughs> to, to power the story through. Yeah, it tends to be you are half at the mercy of 
what you have in terms of data points or things like that and half knowing where you want to go can you use this to glide through and, and to get there so it, it's a little bit like having a bunch of different ways to storytell in like your arsenal and then you figure out okay in this particular situation this project we need to tell this a certain way and then we can figure out what best is what is best la, for the situation yes and of course on your own if you want to go very deep into this ability then having good references help look at the advertising industry, for example, they are master storytellers because they need to tell the story of maybe a 200-year-old company with 5,000 people in 5 seconds or 10 seconds or 30 seconds. So they have to hone a certain sense of being able to cut straight to the point, articulate clearly, short, um, memorably, things like that. So you could be looking at that. You could, of course, again, uh, look at movies and things like that. You could look at fiction to help you in storytelling. So a lot of this constant absorption of various sources you can't really do it just for this project okay i need to ramp up right now tell me what is the three key points and I, once i master that process i can do it it's a bit harder than that you almost have to just build it up over time your sense your sensibility and then it becomes intuitive almost and then that's where you, you can use it to your advantage or to, in, in your projects and you can apply easily again same like cooking again you you could try to follow a recipe, but then that's replication. But if you wanted to create a new dish, you do have to have a lot of inherent background knowledge, how cooking works, temperatures, ingredients, flavors, textures, how they all can mix. So if you're already eating a lot and paying attention to all of this throughout your past, and you this becomes instinct. But if you are completely new, then this becomes a very forced activity, which is, probably both difficult and painful. So for new, say, new designers or even students who want to start getting into storytelling, is there like maybe one or two things that you could um, recommend them start doing? Is it about just reading more or constantly having exposure to, to mm. these things? Mm. I would say, of course, exposure is good. The other aspect that people tend to forget is that design students love to design and the shiniest part of the design is the part that is tangible, visual, physical maybe. And for people who, is, who are trying to get into this, I would encourage you to look for the background, the buried, the rationale. If you look at a particular design decision, a feature, why is it like that? What were potentially some motivations? What constraints could they possibly have to make it, how, why is it that it's manifested exactly like that in features, in specifications, in design details, articulation, things like that. And the more you dig into this rabbit hole of whys and the stories behind, I think you have yourself a very rich sense um, of if you can work backwards from object, how to work forwards again when you're trying to create a new thing. So. That's always an underplayed part of design's training that schools are actually training people pretty well for, but they are not maybe so recognized as a designer's capability to be able to see something and try to link back on the context and manifestations and insights and problems and constraints and tensions 
that might surround every piece of object that we have around us today. So would you say that this is a newer skill set that mm. designers have to start developing for mm. themselves? Would you, or would you say that it's always been there, just mm. never really like above the surface? Yeah, actually I would think it's not necessarily new. If anything, I would assume that this is inherently part of a core design process anyway. Of course, the difference might be whether we have consciously labeled this as a, whether it's a skill set or as a process, that might be the difference. It's, it's a bit similar to design versus design thinking. Is, is that a new thing that was just recently discovered last century? I don't think so. But is it a way to frame and describe what happens? Yes. So similarly for storytelling and design, I would assume any designers, anybody who designed anything would have rather explicitly or intuitively some sense of there's something here that I'm trying to get done. There's something that's not so well done and I'm trying to get around it. I'm trying to make it better. I'm trying to tell people why this is better. That part has always been there. So when you have a, a project that you want to, to showcase, you want to tell, and you have multiple audience, does that take, do you have to factor that into the consideration when you are trying to craft that, that story? And how do you then create a narrative that resonates with many different audience? Mm. I think the short answer is you cannot create a single narrative for all audiences. So if you really want it to resonate, right, again, mango first R, resonance happens when the audience recognize a truth that they have in their minds in what you are sharing to them. So depending on your audience, what's in their minds are completely different, right? So if you're presenting a design for, I don't know whether it's an object or product, for example, someone from the finance team sees completely different things from someone from the design team and engineering team and so on. So the key for narrative is not to say that you can have one master narrative to win them all, but in the ability to know what is it that's in your audience's mind, what might be some of their assumptions, contexts, concerns, and then knowing how your design or your product or your innovation answers to their mental context. If you can do that, you establish resonance. If you cannot do that, you get a polite thank you. That's usually the difference. You talked a little bit about how to determine that resonance, right? Does it just boil down to empathy and being able to understand from that particular audience's standpoint, what would they be looking up? For sure. So. Just now when I was talking about resonance, I talked primarily about user empathy, but perhaps a very neglected part of empathy is actually your audience empathy. Sometimes we spend a lot of time or design education or training teaches us to be very empathetic towards the users. We really have to put ourselves in their shoes. Uh, we ought to apply the same level of empathy towards everybody else that has a stake in this. For the, maybe in, in an agency context, for the client who is trying to push this through, what are their bottlenecks? What are their pain points? Uh, what would help them versus what is not so useful? Or various departments, right? What is the finance person's issues with this, right? Where you see innovation, they may see risk or they may see problems or, or compliance issues or things like that. And if you are not able to empathize with that, your chance of having traction is actually a lot lower. The same way that if you don't have empathy for your end users, the chance of them 
buying your product or having traction with them is a lot lower. So empathy applies to all right, users, but also other stakeholders. And when you have that, the way you talk or the way your narrative shifts, the way you describe your design or innovation will shift as well because you know what they care about and how you can address their concerns or their issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. I don't know. I feel a lot of times when we talk about design, we always go into the hard skills, right? Like the caring, la, <laughs> sketching. La. And I don't know whether I caught you correctly, but similar to you, I can't do a lot of like very beautiful sketches. Or I'm not that great with form, <laughs> which is very typical like hard skills of design kind of thing. So it, it's, it's really cool hearing from you on quite a, a different angle to design. Love. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming down to, you, to talk to us. Yeah, thank <laughs> okay, you for okay. this conversation. Yeah, thank you. We'll be sure to, to get you back on when we have more questions. Sure, happy to do that. <laughs> thank you. All right, thank, thank you. you. Thanks for joining us today and we'll see you next week to get stuck in design.